You're listening to the Memphis MedCast, a podcast series from Memphis Medical Society. Find out more about our mission and services at mdmemphis.org. Hey, podcasters, thanks for listening to Memphis MedCast. If you've got any ideas for future episodes of the podcast, uh, please send them over to info at mdmemphis.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, podcasters, this episode is a recording of a Zoom webinar we did uh, with our incoming medical students, uh, M1s, and uh, we taught them a little bit about uh, the financial basics that they need to know coming into medical school, how to get acquainted in Memphis. They got to hear from their peers, the university leadership, as well as medical society leadership. So um, if you want to check it out online, it'll be on our uh, YouTube channel, so it should be uh, easy to find through the Memphis Medical Society YouTube page. Hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome, class of 24. Welcome to a great profession. Join us. Join us. Hey, come join us. Join us. Join us. Be part of the change in healthcare and medicine that you want to see. Come join us. All right, hello and welcome College of Medicine class of 2024. My name is Robert Frederick and I am a third year medical student and I'm thrilled to be talking to you all tonight, um, even if it is through a tiny camera in my laptop. But um, although this isn't ideal, just keep reminding yourself that you finally made it to medical school and now you're only four years away from being the next McDreamy or Meredith Gray or whoever else you wanna be. So you're probably wondering what this webinar is about or what uh, Money in Med Medicine is about. Um, so it's a group created by myself and the Memphis Medical Society for medical students who are interested in learning more about personal finance and how to create wealth in addition to your future income. So we like to focus on topics specific to medical students. With that being said, um, we are all kind of broke at the moment because we are students, uh, we're in debt, but uh, we focus on how to plan to make the most of that future income that I was talking about. So. Um, when I said that Memphis Medical Society and I created this group, I really was talking about Clint Cummins. He's the CEO of Memphis Medical Society, and he's going to give you all a quick intro of what MMS is all about. All right. Thanks, Robert. And uh, sorry for that slight delay in getting started, everybody. Um, uh, Robert just tried to uh, describe me as brilliant. And if that were true, we would have started at about 6.01 instead of uh, 6.13. So uh, thanks for bearing with us. Um, uh, I'm Clint Cummins, CEO of the Memphis Medical Society. A couple of housekeeping notes before we get started. Uh, the uh, Q&A feature of Zoom, please use that throughout the uh, webinar. Uh, feel free to throw your questions up. They don't have to be financial related. They can be, uh, but if it's more about what it's like to be in medical school, what it's like to live in Memphis, you can post questions uh, in that vein uh, as well. We've got tons of experts on the call today, whether they're uh, medical society staff, financial experts, UT staff, UT medical students, uh, our president of the medical society. We've got a ton of people um, here, uh, both on the webinar and in the future to uh, help you uh, get the resources you need. The re webinar is gonna be recorded. Uh, we're gonna send the link out uh, by YouTube link as soon as we can. Uh, so if you uh, wanna watch it again, you're welcome to, or if you wanna share it, uh, with uh, some of your colleagues, you can do that as well. A uh, couple of uh, things about the Medical Society. 
Uh, our simple job at Memphis Medical Society is to make a physician's life better, whether that's at home or in the practice. And you guys are still four years out uh, from beginning your, or beginning your medical careers, uh, but we're here to help you from day one. And uh, you know, one of the things um, that we've added along the way has been this Money in Medicine initiative. Uh, we want you to have this type of education as early in your career as you can have it. Um, we're actually talking as we were prepping uh, for this webinar about moving it up until uh, the month of May next year so that uh, you can have this information just as early as possible. Memphis Medical Society was really created as an advocacy organization and that has always been the core piece of our mission. We've been fortunate um, to be able to add programs like Money and Medicine over the years, but uh, through our partnership with the Tennessee Medical Association, advocacy is and will continue to be uh, our top priority. Uh, there's an old saying out there that uh, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu and joining organizations like Memphis Medical Society is a way to make sure that you're at the table um, and not on the menu in your medical career. Uh, just simply practicing medicine or, or doing research or whatever you choose to do in your career is not enough. You got to be involved in organized medicine uh, if you want to make a difference and help things evolve. With that regard, uh, some of you have uh, already joined the organization online. I think you did it through the TMA website. Uh, there were some scholarships given out over the summer. That's great. Uh, you're a member of the Medical Society and TMA if you did that um, at no charge to you. Uh, we also have a partnership with the AMA, the American Medical Association, um, that does have a cost to it. It's $100 for the entire uh, length of your uh, student career, four years. And uh, with that comes um, the step one study guide, which I think is worth more than $100. So it's a great value um, in your membership. And I know um, a lot of our medical students have been able to enjoy uh, some national um, events through the AMA and some national resources uh, while they've been in school as well. So uh, the link uh, for joining that is uh, on the screen and we'll also put it uh, in the chat box uh, throughout the presentation tonight. Uh, the next uh, person I want to introduce is uh, the 2020 president of the Memphis Medical Society, Dr. Danielle Hassel. Um, Dr. Hassel's been in Memphis since 2008. Um, she is originally from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, she graduated Jackson State University and did her medical training at the University of South Alabama College of Medicine. Uh, she completed a residency at University of Arkansas uh, for medical sciences, where she also served as chief resident. Um, she is now the chief physician and medical director of the Spinal Cord Injury Program at the Memphis VA Medical Center, where she leads the care of over 1,000 paralyzed veterans. Really cool job, and we're really grateful that Dr. Hassel shares um, her leadership with our organization. She's a strong advocate for organized medicine. Um, she's been on our board of directors since 2013. She served as a young physician delegate for the Tennessee Medical Association. And she's a past president and board member of the Bluff City Medical Society, which is a partner organization of ours who um, is dedicated to advancing African-American physicians in our community. You'll learn more about that organization um, as you get acquainted in Memphis. Uh, she's also a regular attendee at our annual Day on the Hill, where we bus, I don't know, anywhere from uh, 50 to 60 physicians up to Nashville every year in their white coats. Um, we join about 250 other 
physicians from throughout the state, and she's always um, there making her voice uh, heard in Nashville. So Dr. Hassel, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Clint. Um, glad to be here tonight and have the opportunity to share with you all. Uh, first of all, welcome uh, to those who are um, from Memphis or new to Memphis. We're glad to have you. Um, I would just like to emphasize uh, what Clint mentioned about organized medicine. Uh, when I moved to Memphis, one of the first things I did was to seek out the, the local medical organization and group. Um, I sought to network uh, with other physicians and then I realized that the Memphis Medical Society was much more than just networking. Uh, I realized that um, it's an opportunity to, um, to, to grow and to uh, really have an impact on medicine. When I was in medical school and even in residency, I had no idea what organized medicine was and what it could do for um, our society. Uh, we hope that you will join the organization and, and begin to learn very early on how what you do outside of uh, a clinic or a hospital can affect um, our community. Uh, the laws that are being made uh, for uh, healthcare, um, laws that affect physicians, that affect patients, and um, there's no better advocate, there's no better voice for healthcare than, than the physicians uh, on the behalf of ourselves and for our patients. So uh, I just strongly encourage you all to take advantage of uh, potential free membership and again, to begin uh, learning what the organization does and how it operates. Uh, so that once you're out in practice and even before uh, out in practice, um, you can start to see how uh, physicians in our community are molding um, how healthcare moves forward. So uh, again, welcome to you all. All right, thank you, Dr. Hassel. Um, and thank you again for your leadership of our uh, organization. All right, I'm gonna introduce our uh, featured speaker uh, and I'm gonna put the pressure on. We, uh, we could have uh, invited just about anybody to do this presentation today. There, as you will learn in your medical career, there are uh, an unlimited number of financial professionals who would love to do business with you and have your banking relationship and help you uh, plan your financial career. But um, we picked Daniel for some specific reasons. One, he's got a uh, lot of experience uh, in working with physicians and uh, we've seen him present before and know he does uh, an excellent and dynamic job uh, with delivering this information. So um, no pressure there, Daniel. Um, Daniel is a uh, certified financial uh, planner. He's the president of Burke Financial Group, a company that specializes in working with physicians across the country. Uh, he's been in the financial sector since 2009 uh, he's been partner at a Fortune 100 company, named Partner of the Year there. In 2016, he became a member of the Million Dollar Roundtable, uh, which is an industry-wide organization recognizing the top producers uh, in the world. After gaining this valuable expertise, he decided to start his own financial practice designed around working with medical professionals. He grew up in Middle Tennessee and earned a degree in finance from the University of Tennessee Martin, go Skyhawks. Uh, he's got a certificate in financial planning from Belmont University. He lives in Nashville with his wife, Liz, uh, who's a psychiatric nurse practitioner with her master's and doctorate from Vanderbilt University. So very medical centric family there. Uh, in April of 2018, they welcomed their first child, Hudson Patrick Burke, into their lives. 
which made Daniel excited because it added a tax deduction to his family. Come on, man, there's more to having kids uh, than that. And if Daniel's talking today and he just bolts all of a sudden, it's because any day, any minute now, they will be welcoming their second child into the world. Um, Liz is due this week. So uh, Daniel, see if you can live up to that presentation, my friend. No pressure, no pressure. Well, thank you guys. I'm honored to be on this uh, meeting call or whatever you wanna, wanna call this now. You know, the, this is the new normal that we're all having to deal with. So uh, we'll, we'll make do with, with what we can right now. I know I had the opportunity to speak with the medical students in the fall of uh, last year and then also in the spring of this year before uh, life changed for everyone with COVID-19. So what we're gonna do today is I'm gonna try to stream on this as quickly as possible for a couple reasons. Number one, it's Monday. Number two, it's 6.23 our time. Uh, and you guys have other things to do throughout the day or throughout the evening. Uh, and then also number four or number three or number four, it's, it's finance. And I know for a lot of you, that's not something that's top of mind. So what I wanna do today is we're not gonna get into anything complex, okay? We'll have a lot of first years reach out to us with questions on you know, Roth IRAs and 401ks and what kind of insurances should they get and all those questions that are important, but not right now, okay? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to dive through a couple topics that I think would be valuable um, for everyone on this call. Um, and then what we're gonna do is open it up for questions if you guys have some, but more specifically, we're, I think everyone on this call will get the most benefit from, that is hearing from Madison and Robert. Those are our two subject matter experts in medical school right now, and, and they'll share with you, and, and I've had the chance um, to speak with both of them, they'll share with you, you know, things they wish they would have done differently, specific to, um, you know, loans, specific to things in Memphis, and so I think that, that will be very practical for you guys as you're trying to navigate these uncharted uh, waters going forward. So when we look at uh, money and thinking about finances, okay, again, this is not something that's super fun to, to talk about or think about, but if we don't start concentrating and thinking about what we're going to do with those funds that we, that we um, earn from being a physician, then we're not going to be able to diligently be able to accomplish long-term goals, provide for our family, and those types of things. So even though you might say, Daniel, I got into medicine, so I didn't have to think about money, well, I hate to break it to you. That's not the case. Okay. Uh, we've got to make sure that we're a good steward. So what we always try to do when we think through finances is, is following a process rather than thinking about specific products. Okay. So the first bottom piece of this pyramid, it's what we consider the foundation. That's really all we're going to talk about today. We're not going to get into anything on wealth accumulation or distribution. Uh, those are all topics that we can discuss down the road. And I think we will hit at, at different times in our relationship. Um, but more specifically, we're going to talk about how to properly use funds. Now, I know everyone on this call has an undergrad degree. And if you don't, uh, that's amazing because I don't know how you got in. But everyone on this call has got an undergrad degree. We've all had to deal with maybe taking out student loans or maybe we had full ride scholarships or family helped us out. Um, but not everyone had to, uh, you know, take out money to live off. Okay. Um, and so we're going to get uh, into a little bit more about how to manage those finances and how to properly approach it and to think through things. Because I'll tell you this, the first semester of medical school is the hardest one to budget for, for, for multiple reasons. Number one, you don't know what true living expenses are going to be like in Memphis. Number two, maybe this is your first time taking out loans. Maybe undergrad was covered through those other sources. Um, and then number three, there's just so much uncertainty on how am I going to manage my time? And so I don't know how much discretionary funds I'm going to have. Um, you know, to, to spend, to travel, to hang out with friends, all those types of things. So the first thing that we look at when it comes to budgeting 
is we really have to break finances down into two main categories, okay? The first category that we have to break it down to is what we consider the fixed expenses, okay? Those are gonna be things that will not change month to month. It could be rent, it could be insurance, could be auto loans, could be an array of different things, okay? Now, one thing, and I heard Robert talk about this a second ago as we were kind of prepping for this call is, a lot of first year medical students will say, you know what, I've gotta be in this prime area close to you know, the medical school uh, or close to a hospital and, and I've gotta get an apartment on my own. And what they find is, you know what, their apartment costs 1500 to two grand. Whereas if they would consider networking a little bit and trying to find a roommate or two or three, um, you know, they could really drive down those fixed costs on a monthly or, or annual basis, okay? So that's number one, fixed costs. Number two is we've got the variable expenses. This is this killer, okay? For some of you, the silent killer. Those are things like groceries, entertainment, meals outside the home, utilities, travel. They are going to fluctuate month to month, okay? These are things that you know, but we've gotta be very conscientious of these, okay? Biggest one that gets uh, uh, most of the people that we, we see uh, in medical school is gonna be the entertainment and meals outside the home, okay? You're very, very busy, and, and you know, especially with uh, today's world where you can get, you know, pretty much any restaurant you want delivered directly to your doorstep, that adds up very quickly. So we have to be conscientious of those, okay? So looking down at that, some budgeting tools that we find that work very, very well uh, for medical students. Old school way of doing it, which still works, and if, if your mind works that way, is just simply using an Excel uh, budget or an Excel spreadsheet, okay? It's not the way I would recommend because there's so many phenomenal tools out there that we can not only track our expenses on a daily basis, but they can come directly to our phone, our cell phones. And so we can be up to date and linked to our bank accounts and credit card statements, okay? The first one that we look at that, that we use frequently with clients is you need a budget, okay? I don't love the name, it sounds a little demeaning, but uh, it's a great name in general, just from most of us need a budget of some kind, okay? It's not that we don't have an idea that you know, we need to follow a budget. It's just that it gets out of hand. We get busy, life gets crazy and strenuous or we're traveling more than normal. And so you need a budget is just a great tool that you can go in and enter what your uh, budget estimates are for groceries, utilities, um, rent, all those things. And it will track it on a daily basis and you'll get notifications and alert along the way. Uh, just kind of a, a side note for, for us, people that are typically a little bit more analytical seem to gravitate more towards you need a budget, okay? People that are a little bit more visual seem to gravitate a little bit more towards mint.com, okay? Both of those are phenomenal. Mint is actually an extension now of Intuit, which is a very big accounting um, software uh, that's out there in the marketplace today. But you can just see both of these will track on a daily basis to see, hey, you know what? You've got $400 a month set aside for groceries or $400 set aside for eating out or getting drinks with friends and you're getting really darn close to that, you know, and there's still 10, 15 days left on the end of the month. And so you now know, ooh, I need to dial this thing back a little bit because if we don't follow a budget, and budget is not, budgeting is not fun, but if we don't follow a budget, what's gonna happen is you're gonna be reaching out to financial aid going, oh, I need more money, you know, I'm running low or I've spent too much funds. And that's the last thing that you wanna do because if you get more money from financial aid, which is what they're there for, okay, guess what? That's gonna come with interest and, and strings attached on the back end. So we wanna to try to minimize that amount as much as possible. Um, getting down to student loans versus budgeting, okay? These are some very rough figures. Now here's my disclaimer, okay? Number one, uh, student aid has actually done a great job and is working, um, our financial aid is working through reducing out-of-state tuition, okay? Which is unheard of. Uh, that never happens in a university setting. So uh, kudos to them. Number two, 
I wanted to use very round numbers in this discussion. So please do not go to financial aid and say, well, that financial guy on the call said, this is what the costs were because it's gonna be slightly different than what I'm showing you. These are just hypothetical examples, okay? So the first option we look at is, let's say a student borrowed $65,000 and the cost of the tuition, okay? And this is not gonna be room and board. Let's just say tuition, fees, all those other things that, that come with the university, it would be 45,000 as a hypothetical, okay? That would leave you with $20,000 left over on your loans after paying the university for living expenses, okay? And this is talking in a, in a semester, so a six month period, okay? Then let's say we had $70,000 uh, that we took out on a student loan, same fixed expenses would give you with $25,000 of excess funds for living expenses. And on the final one, let's say you borrowed 75,000, okay? Whether or not you can even borrow that, that's not the discussion for today. These are just round numbers to give us an example, okay? So that's number one. Then number two, what we have to do is we have to take, for example, on option one, the $20,000, which is for living expenses, if we divide that number by six, which would be half of the year, that would give you $3,333 per month to live off, okay? If you had 25,000 of excess funds, that would give you $4,166 per month. And if you had $30,000, that would give you $5,000 per month, okay? Remember, all those figures are not annualized. They're over a six month period. Now we use simple examples of, let's say rent was 1,000, utilities was 200, groceries, so on and so forth. You can see at the end of each month, these are the excess figures that you should have, okay? Now, when you look at this, you go, well, my goodness, I don't think I need $2,950 per month of excess money. And I would agree, if this is your example, you don't need that much excess cash flow, okay? And, and I'll let uh, Madison here in a second talk about that. But what you have to do initially is going into medical school, you really need to focus on all of these letters in red, the rent, the utilities, the groceries, the entertainment, and try to figure out what your budget should be going forward for the next six months. Then what that allows you to do is that lets you know, now this is how much money I need to borrow on my student loans. What most students do is they'll just borrow 65 or 70 or $75,000 and they just spend whatever they got because they thought, well, that's what I was allowed to get, so this is what I'm gonna spend. And I'll tell you, and you'll see here in a second, that's a, that's a very flawed way of thinking about it. Now again, this is so hard to do for your first semester of medical school because a lot of these expenses you just don't know. So if you feel like maybe you borrowed already too, a little too much or you're still in the process of making that decision, please do not stress. All these numbers are not meant to uh, get you worried or, or provide anxiety about your finances. It's simply to enlighten you so you can start making very educated decisions. And so remember, reverse engineer that number, figure out what your expenses are, and then that will allow you to know how much that you need to borrow on a monthly basis. And those numbers will change semester to semester based upon you know, some variable costs that might come up. For example, you might go through a process of interviewing in year four for residency programs. You're gonna have more travel expenses on that semester. So those are some things that you have to think about and talk with your peers. So why does this matter how much I borrow today? Okay, this is gonna hit home a little bit for you guys. Again, not to disturb you, just meant to enlighten you, okay? If we took a student, a medical student that borrowed $260,000 of student loan debt, and we assumed that was a 7% interest rate, okay, when they started paying that back and they wanted to pay it off over a 10-year period, not saying you will or won't do this, not saying you won't do PSLF or some other loan program, okay, this is just an example, you would be paying $3,000 a month, and the total interest you would pay over the life of that 10 years would be $102,000, okay? If you borrowed $280,000, you would pay $110,000 in interest. And then if you borrowed $300,000 total, you'd pay $118,000. 
So the reason we're having that discussion on, you know, don't take out more per semester that you need is for this very reason. This is just something on the back end that you're going to have to pay back, uh, you know, to Uncle Sam or to a, a private servicer, whichever direction that you go. And so we can make those smart decisions now and even save maybe $5,000 per semester that we didn't have to take out in student loans because we were smart with our money on a monthly basis. Um, I think it's a, it's a complete win. And Robert, uh, Robert Madison will, will back that up for sure. Um, you know, and tell you, and, and on all these physicians that are on the call today, uh, you know, we could just we could spend the next hour, hour and a half saying, man, I wish I would have done this, or I wish I would have known that. And so I am thrilled that they have gotten this panel together, um, you know, and having these discussions with you guys, you know, before you even start your first day in medical school. And I think that will be a great tool going forward. One thing I did want to mention, and this is a common misconception, is if you are able to borrow, let's say $70,000 for a semester or $60,000, and let's say you get a $10,000 scholarship. That does not mean you get to borrow 60,000 plus 10. That $10,000 scholarship will reduce the amount that you can borrow. So that's something that financial aid, I'm sure hears a lot that we just wanted to make note of. Um, another thing that we, that we see a, a big mistake when it comes to finances is uh, people not monitoring uh, what's going on their credit card. And all of a sudden those variable expenses get a little bit higher. And so that's why I think tying the you need a budget and the mint.com app to your credit card will alert you on a consistent basis. So that way you're tracking it, not just month by month, but really day by day and week by week going forward. Questions on that. Uh, Clint, I don't know if you want to open it up for questions or allow Robert and Madison to, um, um, you know, share their thoughts on some things. Yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll chime in and say, um, you need a budget is a tool that I use. And I know there are some people that um, come to school with a spouse uh, or a close girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, or whatever. And uh, th those are good tools to use in those relationships too. Um, they can also be, um, <laughs> they can also present opportunities to check each other's expenses. Like, Oh, you went out and had uh, five drinks last night. I thought you only had a couple. Um, so hopefully they're only, um, uh, you know, silly conversations like that, but, uh, those are, those are good tools that serve you, um, well into your life. So, yeah. um, Robert and Madison, I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Is there any kind of practical stuff you guys want to throw in, whether it's financial related or not? Madison, you can go first since you had that good example of loans. Yeah. So, hey, everybody. My name is Madison Call. Um, I'm also a third-year medical student with Robert. Um, I just want to take a quick minute to say congratulations to you all for your acceptance to medical school. I know right now with um, the pandemic and Zoom times that a lot of this is feeling very unceremonious, um, kind of entrance into a, a huge milestone in your life. But I just want to say congrats and um, that we're all really proud that you're um, that you're joining. But uh, but yeah, I for, as somebody who wasn't too far off um, in the distant future from where you all are now, um, it, it's one also a, a, a huge credit that you all are even listening into this call and, and beginning to think about this before starting medical school. Um, that's really important. Um, I think just like Daniel said, the hardest part is creating a budget. Um, and that's something that I personally struggled with a little bit. I, uh, I had taken two gap years after medical school. And um, during that time, I hadn't formally really created a budget. I was, I was making money. And so I was spending that money and I wasn't, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, how much needed to go in each category. And I remember them encouraging that to us. And so when it came time to begin taking out loans, um, and, and realizing that here's a huge, you know, lump sum that I could take out and how much did I really need? 
um, it's a tough decision. So I would, I would just, you know, while you all have this time right now before starting medical school, before things kind of get crazy with studies, taking some time now to, um, you know, set a few hours aside and maybe start looking at some of your transactions um, from the last, you know, several months of, of, of if you have been living independently and um, kind of looking at some cost of living things in, in terms of rent and, and in Memphis and, and getting a sense of that um, will pay off in the long run. Um, and also to, you know, getting to know what you can, what all you can do with the financial aid department's really helpful. Um, there's a lot of ins and outs that um, you kind of have to learn as you go along the way. But, um, you know, if, if you take too little out, you can always take more money out um, and, and, and work with them for that. So uh, just kind of, kind of becoming financially literate as it applies to on campus with the financial aid department will also really pay off too while you all have this time off. Um, or, you know, some time before starting medical school before things get crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's my biggest piece of advice is it, one kudos that you're thinking about this early and, and um, just, just be proactive with it for sure. Yeah, I would just echo what Madison said, because if you guys are like me at all, I was super eager to get onto campus um, the summer before M1 year, even though there's no rush, like it's going to be here. It's okay. Um, it survived through COVID, like relax and enjoy the summer you have right now. Um, that's what everyone kept telling me because I was asking what I should be doing the summer before M1. And they're like, just chill, like enjoy your summer that you have left. Because um, first year is overwhelming because it's a new type of schooling. It's a lot of information. I'm sure you've heard all of this before. Um, but just echoing what Madison said, just use this time to kind of study what you've been spending maybe test out the different budgeting um, tools, maybe ask mom and dad if they have any extra money, maybe find some couch coins laying around. I don't know. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the main things that you guys should be doing um, financial related this summer before M1. And like I said, uh, first year does get overwhelming. Uh, we can touch more on that in a little bit if you want. Um, but the main thing is, that it's overwhelming to everyone and it's not just you and you're going to get through it. Just take it day by day. And that's, that's what everyone told me. Uh, just get better every day and you'll be fine. So I know you got a couple months before school starts, but just wanted to give you that preface. And I see somebody put in the chat um, asking about if financial aid offers a class on financial literacy. I know that for us, they required um, individual meetings with the financial with a financial aid officer. Robert, did you, do you remember that? that we yeah, had to do that? and you're required to meet with them one-on-one -on -one, and then yeah. you can meet with them as many times as you need. One stop is, uh, yeah. you're not coming from the UTK family. One stop is the ones, it's got financial aid, bursar, registrar, it's got all the information you need in one stop and you can go and talk to them about any questions you have. And then yeah. also this Money and Medicine series started last year and we're hoping to give uh, pretty frequent talks and lectures uh, about different topics in finance related to being a medical student, being a future physician. Yeah, I remember that one-on-one -on -one with my financial counselor. I, I should have prepared for it more. Um, I remember her asking questions like, so what's your budget? And I was kind of sitting there not really knowing what to say. And um, But using that time to, you know, while you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody who can help you with stuff, you know, going through with them of, okay, let's say I didn't take out enough money. How would I go about this process? Who do I need to email? Getting those contacts written down and storing those so that, you know, let's say it's November, December, and you have 
you know, you're in your last block, you're stressed, you're not really, tr you're just trying to get to winter break, but you still need money, you know exactly who to reach out to. Or um, also, let's say the opposite, you take out too much money, you know, what's kind of the timeline in order to be able to give some of that back now that you've, you know, been in Memphis for a month, and you're realizing how much things cost. So um, just, I guess, yeah, being proactive and, and echoing what Robert said, the money and medicine um, series that MMS has put on is, is just for you all and, and um, can address really any kind of topics that, that you want, um, but it's geared towards medical student financial literacy um, specifically. So, And I would also like to say, so we know that you have lots of different resources and the medical, Memphis Medical Society has this one that's very valuable because it's student driven, but within your curriculum, the AAMC has many, many resources and you all have, should have a log on and it'll, it has things about budget. It has things about how to have a baby in medical school and ha how to plan for that. It has um, things. What if your car breaks down? So there's lots of resources on the AAMC website. And, um, and I think we're trying to wrap you in lots of financial literacy so that when you get here, you have all the things that the Memphis Medical Society does. You'll have all the things that the medical education dean has. And then we, we have even more things because we want to make sure that you don't make some of the same mistakes that we made when we went, well, it, I'll just own it. When I went to medical school, I made a few financial mistakes. And so I would like you to not do that. All right. Um, so uh, Dustin is back there behind the scenes as well. Um, he is assistant uh, dean for admissions. He's posted some good links here um, in the chat for you guys. Thank you, Dustin. Um, Daniel, there is a pretty good question. This kind of gets us into the 201 version of the class, but I think it's a good question. Uh, do you recommend that uh, med medical students contribute to IRA accounts during medical school or hold off? I mean, that's a great question. Great. I mean, if you are able to save in medical school, I mean, amazing. Okay. Amazing. And, and maybe you can do that because maybe it's a full scholarship, maybe family's helping out or you saved funds to go. I mean, it could be a array of different things. So number one, if you can save, that's awesome. I always say uh, medical school and residency is all about survival and not thriving. Okay. If you can thrive during that time, uh, the more, the more the merrier, but um, medical school is a little bit difficult from an IRA standpoint because it's supposed to be earned income. And as a medical student, you typically don't have any earned income. And, and the income that you bring in is going to be, you know, through student loans. And it's not even income, but the money that you bring in is through student loans. So that would be a nuance that you'd have to work through. You know, if you don't have any earned income, it might be difficult. But you could save in an investment account or, you know, savings account or whatever else you wanted to do. So I don't know if that answers it or not, but if you can save, great. I just don't know if an IRA is going to be applicable in medical school without earning. Um, we answered some of the other questions in the Q and A. Uh, one that came through was uh, other um, online financial tools other than you need a budget. Uh, we reiterated Mint. Um, I know that some banks also offer it to their customers either through their online portal or perhaps uh, through some other way. Um, Daniel, any others out there or Madison or Robert, any that you're using? I mean, there's, there's so many good uh, physician blogs. You know, something I, I mentioned uh, or that Clint that you mentioned uh, leading up to this guys, there, there are a million people that do what I do, which is financial, you know, planning. Um, and there's a million people that want to work with physicians and there's a million resources. So there's all this stuff out there. What you have to understand is, uh, you know, there's some good information and there's some not good information. Okay. And I'm not here to tell you which one's good or which not. Uh, today, but you know, do a good job of just trying to digest it slowly. 
you know, your focus is medical school. It is not to become a financial expert in medical school. Okay. You can become a financial expert later on down the road if you want. Um, but it's also to dip your toe in the water a little bit. So that way you can be a good steward of that hopefully high income that you're going to be earning, you know, post-residency or post-fellowship. Uh, but white coat investor, uh, you know, talking to your peers, attending financial presentations. I mean, all those are just great places to start to just kind of start getting a feel for what's out there. Um, the next one's pretty specific, Daniel. Um, how would you recommend spending 15000 of earned money in light of 165000 in student loans each year? Should that 15000 be maxed out personal um, Roth accounts? So a Roth IRA. Yeah. Roth IRA, you can put in $6,000 a year if you're under the age of 50. Okay. So it'd be difficult to max that out, but maybe you could do it for yourself or your spouse. If you had some earned income, um, you do spouse IRA. So that'd be 12,000 collectively. Um, you know, what it really comes down to is if you've got student loan debt, it's kind of that whole discussion of, does it make sense to invest those funds or does it make sense to, you know, pay down some debt? So my question would, to you, and, and this is not something you can answer on the chat today is, you know, what is that interest rate at? Is it, are we sitting at a 7% interest rate on a, some kind of federal unsubsidized loan? Then I'd probably look at trying to pay down some of that, you know, some of that interest or making sure your emergency fund is in place. Because I promise you guys, everyone will experience some kind of emergency in medical school. The car will break down, the washer and dryer will go. I mean, something that you just didn't account for that you've got to cover. Um, and so making sure that emergency fund is, is built up first before you start thinking about savings and investing. Um, so that's, it's kind of hard to answer, not knowing in more details, but you know, if it's a higher interest rate, yeah, go that route, make sure emergency funds there. And then if, if you're fine with where the interest rate is on the student loans, then yeah, I mean, it's always great. Roth IRAs are phenomenal because you're getting money out of the tax system long-term at your lowest tax bracket, which for most of you guys is probably zero <laughs> right now. All right, uh, they're loosening up, Daniel. They're, they're starting to fire away here, so. Um, I'm not telling my height and weight, but um, this one's really, really good and simple. What do you suggest if the person's overwhelmed by all the resources? Where do you start? You know, is there a good kind of 101 website to get people started? Yeah, you know, again, White Coat's a good one. I'll be honest with you, and this is not, please don't let this get out of hand. Robert, uh, I, I have been very impressed by him setting up this session with you, Clint. And so I think at some point, not everyone, Robert, sorry, your email is going to have like 50 messages here in about five minutes, but Robert's a great wealth of information. And, you know, it's one of those things where your parents can tell you what to do, but then you're, you know, someone that's not your parent tells you what to do and you're like, oh, that's amazing. And it's the exact same information. So Clint, you could tell him something. I could tell him something. Dr. Womack could tell him something, but coming from Robert, uh, I think it will, it will fall on much better ears because he's living it. Same thing with Madison. They're living it. They've been it they know those nuances so I would start there and ask them some questions you know and again you know attend the financial sessions that you can throughout you know the four years of medical school and just don't don't try to eat the elephant one bite just take you know slow bites along the way yeah and I'll just say off of that um if if you come to me and I don't know the answer to it I'll triage it and I'll get you to where you need to go on uh to solve whatever issue whatever question you have so yeah yeah Great resource you guys have there. There's some um, good written answers uh, in the Q&A box as well. So I want to make sure everybody sees those. Um, Tammy from the Financial Aid Office has done a good job of um, answering a couple. 
Um, and to the note about uh, one of the resources Daniel mentioned was White Coat Investor. One of the things we're striving to do is to get as many students uh, as possible a copy uh, of one of the White Coat Investor books because um, that a lot of times is a good place to start and it includes that you know, little uh, bit of detail that um, is relevant to a physician or someone uh, training to be a physician. Um, thought I saw another one come in in the chat. Um, there was, uh, this one says it was mentioned not to have 2,900 extra dollars left over after monthly expenses. What's a good amount to have left over for emergencies? Depends on how good you are at tracking your budget. Uh, so if you're someone that, you know, just kind of sticks your head in the ground when you get your money and then six months later pulls it up to try to see how much, how much you have left in the bank account. Um, you know, I would say try to have as, you know, little as possible because you're not tracking it. But I think Madison, to her point of trying to do the budget now, but you need to give yourself some wiggle room. So you don't need to have a budget that's zeroed out. So for example, if, if I go back, let's see if my slide, my presenter will go back here. Uh, so if I go back to this kind of simple breakdown, so 2,900 per month, it, if it gets down to where this is zero at the end of the month and you're like, man, I hit the nail right on the head, you, you actually undershot it. Don't do that. You need that. I would say have at least probably 500 bucks a month of discretion. Okay. I think that's a good, healthy number at kind of a minimum, maybe a thousand would be okay. Uh, again, you can talk with financial aid, Tammy, um, and she might be able to give you a better idea of you know, when you can return those excess funds, if you find out you don't need them, so they don't start accruing interest, that would be a good thing to look at. But I would say 500 to 1000 per month would be a good number to, to shoot for. Robert, Madison, what do you guys think about that? You, I mean, you guys have lived it, I have not. That is a good question. I definitely think it depends on how much you know yourself and how much you need to survive on um, if you know that much like say you eat out a lot and you need extra money um, on the side to do stuff like that or you spend money randomly then um, then you, you may need a little extra more but definitely I think knowing yourself knowing how much you need and how much you like having around um, could definitely help starting mm -hmm. yeah and I would echo that you know I, I don't feel the pressure to have this all fine-tuned before you come on campus and you know this is something that within I learned a lot about my own spending specifically within Memphis um, because this was my first time living here um, during my first semester and so this is something that you know you can kind of fine-tune along the way and, and as long as you're kind of thinking about it on a on a continual basis um, it's something you're going to get smarter at uh, as you go along but don't don't feel the pressure to have it all figured out you know before before August in terms of you know, I need an exact number and I, I, I have to stick to that for the next four years. It's something that can change on a, on a semester basis. If it, if, from what I see of medical students, okay, I would rather see uh, the participants on this call um, be very tight with their money for the first year or two um, and err on the side of caution because what happens is not only are you better at money, hopefully, as time goes on, but number two, you just get really tired in medical school. Okay. And so on that last year, if you're doing residency interviews and other things that you're just having to spend more money on, that's the time where I'd rather you spend a little bit more money. So be conservative on the front end when you're not sure what the expenses are. And then you can be a little bit looser on the back and when you have a better idea of money flow rather than the opposite. Some people go crazy and eat out a lot because, you know, they're away from home 
and then they just build poor habits on the front end. So everything you're doing, it's just like exercising. You're building habits and muscles, you know, that will take you into residency and fellowship. It's just easier to not owe so much when you get out. So if you think about it, if you try not to buy that Starbucks every day, it's probably a good thing because yep. you'll have to pay interest on it and it'll cost a lot more in five years. Yeah. And you could probably calculate that for you though. And we have, you know, we have positions that uh, are in their late forties, early fifties that are still dealing with student loans. Okay. And then we have a medical professional, the most recent one paid off $380,000 of student loan debt in 11 months. So just to show you the extremes of where you could be, okay, anywhere on those two extremes, I would encourage you paying them off sooner would probably be a little bit better. <laughs> a good question came in. I'm typing the answer um, to it just about how we're going to share these resources and links. So uh, we'll um, post the text to the chat um, somewhere and uh, I'm not sure we can do that in the YouTube link, but either way, uh, we'll have that shared either through our website or through the same link that we post the video. Uh, we'll make sure that's easy to access for you guys. Um, another question coming in. Um, if you have a scholarship with X amount, can you use the rest of the money from the federal unsubsidized loan for living expansion expenses, or is that mostly for school expenses? Um, maybe, uh, Tammy, that might be a question for you. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the cost of attendance includes not only those direct school expenses that you'll owe to UTHSE, but it also includes an allowance for your, your variable expenses that we talked about. So those living expenses, your minimum board, your transportation, those miscellaneous expenses. And so you can use that unsubsidized student loan in this example up to the cost of attendance to help with those variable expenses? That's a great question. Great. Um, not seeing a whole lot more questions. So um, I threw a uh, email address there into the chat info at mdmemphis.org. Uh, if you don't want to bombard Robert's inbox or Madison's inbox, you're welcome to uh, <laughs> you're you're welcome um uh you're welcome to send an email to that address and uh, we'll get the question answered for you and you know in that same spirit um i hope we've conveyed you know our job is to really cater this program to you and you know one of the benefits of a small nimble organization like ours is we can make changes on the fly and i think robert and madison will be the first to tell you that you know anytime they have suggestions um, you know, we take them um, to heart. So whether that's about this presentation specifically, money and medicine overall, or how you think um, the medical society can support you as a medical student, I, I hope you won't hesitate to reach out because um, uh, that's, you know, something we pride ourselves on. And, you know, especially now, you know, um, uh, we're not going to be able to necessarily host as many live events for you. Normally when you come to campus, we host this really cool welcome reception. Everybody's there. We're at the Dixon Art Gallery um, in town. So uh, we're not going to be able to, to host that event this year. Um, so we'll have to invite you back to next year's event um, and, and just do two classes at once. But um, in the absence of those events, we want you know to hear from you about how we can better support you um, throughout the year. Um, 
as I mentioned earlier, um, we've got some giveaways uh, that we want to share with folks that attended the call. Uh, we're going to stretch those out throughout the summer. It's going to be a combination of financial resources like the White, White Coat Investor book that I mentioned. Uh, and it's going to be uh, maybe some gift cards to some local businesses. So you don't have to take money out of your own budget. You can get that Starbucks coffee with a Starbucks gift card, right, Dr. Womack? <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, we uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, interacting virtually as much as we can. Um, uh, Dr. Womack, your Associate Dean of Students, I'm going to turn things over to you and, and let you close us out today. Thank you so much, Clint. I, I wanted to tell um, all of you that I am so excited that you're coming uh, to school in the fall. I really appreciate you taking the time to Zoom with us tonight. I, I want to thank the Memphis Medical Society and, and Daniel Burke for taking um, their time. And I want to thank um, Madison and Robert, as well as Tammy Harrison and D Dustin Fulton for joining us. Um, I hope that you found this helpful. When uh, Robert um, and Clint suggested that we have uh, this conversation, I was so excited because I really want you to feel empowered to take control of your finances. I want you to have less things to worry about when you get to school. It's just, um, I'm not sure I worried that much about it when I got to school and I borrowed a lot of money and that was okay because I was able to pay it back because I'm a physician and physicians make an okay amount of money, but it probably would have been better for me if I borrowed a little bit less. So I'm hopeful that you um, learned from this you know, my door is always open. Financial aid um, with Tammy has been so helpful and, and they will keep you informed. And, and lastly, I just wanna say how much I appreciate the Memphis Medical Society being our partner. Um, I love being a board member. I love going to TMA Day on the Hill. I love going to uh, educate our legislators about things like um, how we can prevent opioid um, addiction and, and opioid death from overprescribing. And so those are some of the things that I've uh, really appreciated doing with the TMA uh, and the Memphis Medical Society as partners together. So the Memphis Medical Society takes the bus up to, to the TMA day on the hill and we, we have such a great time. So if that's something that you're interested in, um, please let me know when you get to school because it's one of the things that I really enjoy. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're excited you're coming. And um, we hope that you'll reach out when you, when you need us. All right, guys, don't forget to join. Uh, don't forget to, uh, to send us your feedback. Uh, thanks to all the panelists for joining us. Uh, really appreciate it. I uh, hope you guys got a lot out of it. Uh, have a good evening. We're out of here right at an hour. So that's always good for a Zoom meeting. Uh, Y'all have a great night and we'll see you when you get to Memphis. You've been listening to the Memphis MedCast, a podcast series from Memphis Medical Society. Subscribe to our podcast anywhere you enjoy listening to podcasts or mdmemphis.org.